I don't want the questions at the end of the call. I want the questions now because unanswered questions after you've revealed the price just stall the decision. So we want to make sure we're getting as much out of people question-wise and answering those objections and questions beforehand. can I build my dream business with limited time and resources? How do I level up my marketing? How can I make my brand stand out? How can I build a six, seven, or even an eight bigger business? These were just some of the questions I asked myself when my business started to grow. And these are the ones that my clients consistently come to me with. Well, maybe they don't outright tell me about their seven or eight bigger ambitions, but when we get to know one another, that's exactly where they're at. I'm Deirdre Martin, the host of the Master Your Business podcast, which is a live workshop style branding, marketing and customer experience podcast. And if you've been asking yourself any of those questions, well, this is the show for you. You'll learn actionable step-by-step -step tips that will help businesses like yours gain clarity and illuminate your path to business success. This show brings you branding and marketing tips, social media strategies, customer experience trends and insights, sales strategies, business and mindset hacks, and inspirational and authentic entrepreneurship stories to help you master your dream business and much, much more. I'll share tangible, actionable, no-fluff advice that I used to accelerate my business success. How I went from being a bank manager, loaning out six and seven figure sums and helping people invest money to helping people make six and seven figures instead. I'll share how I became an industry thought leader in marketing and customer experience, using digital courses, keynote speaking, and co-authoring a number one bestseller, all within my first year of business. I earned a lot since starting my business, but I learned even more beforehand. Along with sharing my best kept secrets, you'll find the show to be filled with interviews with industry experts who will share their secrets to ensure you are seen, heard, and hired by your ideal clients. With a growing number of subscribers and downloads, it's your turn to hear from the experts in the Master Your Business podcast, get motivated and empowered to tackle your most significant challenges along your path to your version of success. Welcome back to the Master Your Business podcast, where we serve up the juiciest strategies, most insightful tidbits to help you take your business to the next level. I'm your host, Deirdre Martin, and today we're getting up close and personal with all things sales. So get ready for an episode that's bound to boost your business savvy. Folks, we've got the brilliant Chris James joining us to share his expertise on how to have a structured sales conversation that's more effective than a double espresso. <laughs> Chris will walk us through things like nailing your offer, messaging, content strategy to generate leads. Like they're going out of style, setting the stage for those also important sales conversations. But wait, there's more. Chris will also reveal the top three mistakes he sees people make in sales conversations and guide us through the stages of a successful chat. 
That way you will be able to confidently navigate any sales waters that you encounter like a pro. And because we know the journey of a customer or a sales conversation doesn't actually end when the conversation ends, Chris will also share some valuable tips on following up with leads and keeping the momentum going. So whether you're a sales whiz or just starting to dip your toes into the world of selling, this episode is packed with actionable advice that's sure to leave you feeling empowered and ready to contact So whether you're a sales whiz or just starting to dip your toes into the world of selling, this episode is packed with actionable advice that's sure to leave you feeling empowered and ready to conquer your next sales conversation. Before we jump into this treasure trove of sales wisdom, I'd like to remind you to hit that subscribe button and stay up to date with all of the amazing content we have here on the Master Your Business podcast. Your support is what keeps us going and we're thrilled to have you on this journey with us. If you're finding value in our episodes, we'd be over the moon if you just take one minute or less to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps us to grow and improve and it's an incredible way to help fellow entrepreneurs discover the podcast. So go ahead, share your thoughts and let's continue to elevate the world of business together. Chris, it's fantastic to have you on the Master Your Business podcast. You're very welcome. Hello. How are you doing? Excited to get into this. Fantastic. Well, I brought you here because I know a good bit about you now. I've been following you online for a while, but for listeners who've never heard of you, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're at, what are you doing? Oof, where to begin? So my name is Chris James. I help coaches, freelancers, agency owners, small business owners win more clients online using organic content across Instagram and LinkedIn. I run a six-month consulting slash mentoring program, which is like a hybrid model, and we help people position their offer in accordance with their audience and the problems and, and challenges that they're facing. We help them position an intentional content strategy based on three objectives, which we might get into, we might not. Show them how to generate leads, and then we show them how to close people on structured sales calls as well. I love all of that. And you know what? Actually, what drew me to following you in the first place was the content that you put out there. So it's no surprise that you're course and group program is called content to clients but one of the things that really resonated with me when I first came across your page was your focus on sales and selling because so much of what I'd learned in a previous role was to do with selling I was a sales coach actually that's what I did so your stuff oh, nice. stood out to me so I'd love for you to share some of your top tips on sales techniques and how that structured sales call you mentioned that's part of your group program. What can you tell us about, about that? Let's just get straight in there. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I want to sort of pre preface this, I suppose, with the fact that a lot of people will come to me or I guess lots of other people because they want more sales. All right. They want more money. Ultimately, that's what it stems from. It, well, it actually probably stems from like freedom and time, then back to money, which then stems down to winning more clients. However, I think you can make your sales calls a lot easier by doing the work and every sort of stage beforehand. So 
if you want sales, you need leads. If you want leads, you need to have good marketing. If you want good marketing, you've got to have your message dialed in essentially. So it all stems from that foundational sort of offer a message piece, which is cool. However, what I like to try and do with my clients is get them to a position just like people when, when they buy from me and when their clients buy from them, where they're already 80% bought in before a sales call or conversation takes place through like various touch points. And I think that's what a lot, that's why I've got a big focus on content. Like my background is B2B sales. And then I shifted from B2B working in various different roles to an agency role, content agency role, selling essentially, which was, you know, perfect. That's, that's set me up brilliantly for where I'm at now. And I think the mistake a lot of people make is just expecting to get sales straight off the back of, of anything, right? And not actually putting that much legwork in at the start. So I would always, always make sure before we start talking about sales or before you jump into maybe potentially not being happy with the number of sales you're getting is, is reverse engineering everything from the outcome that you want. Okay. And which is obviously money sales. Okay. Are we getting enough leads? If not, what can we do with our marketing? You know, is your content good enough, strong enough, speaking to your audience on their level? Are you describing their pain, pain points and challenges essentially? And just try to increase the number of touch points that people have with you, different channels, different formats, different messages as well, not diluting your major message, but talking about the different ways in which you're able to help your clients and what success might look like for them. Once you've got that sorted, then we can talk sales, I think. So I, I'm going to throw it back at you and ask what what you wanted, what you want to know, like specific techniques, because there are loads that I've picked up over the years, but maybe a little bit more of a, a structure as how you want me to approach them. And I'll just break down whatever I can. Yeah, like I think everything you've just said there makes total sense. And, you know, people listening to the podcast who've been listening for a while know that we talk a lot about customer experience. We talk a lot about content. We talk about brand strategy. And all of those things come back to everything you've just said there. But I think the one thing that we haven't really covered yet is those sales conversations. So let's imagine that people have all of those good bits done and the legwork, as you've said, because that is a huge mistake. And I see that with clients as well. They expect to get the sales, but they haven't done the legwork. Well, let's say somebody like you, Chris, you've got your legwork done. When you, you know, somebody is on a call, it's a sales call, the lead is potentially warm. What are the common mistakes that you're seeing? What 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 crops up consistently for people? I think the first thing you want to do and the one thing, like the first major hurdle that I think that people, well, it's not a hurdle because it just doesn't exist. It's a problem, I think. They don't set the agenda on the call early. So they let the client lead the call or the prospect lead the call which is a, a big, big error, okay? You're, you've been asked to, this person's asked to speak to you because you're able to give them something that they want. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't be on the call. So you need to remember when, you, when you're starting a sales call that you are the expert, not the, not the prospect. They're the expert in their current situation, but you're the guide. You're the person that's going to help get them what they want, hopefully, if they're a good fit. So I always start off with a small bit of rapport and then I'll hop in, straight away and just say, okay, so normally how these calls go, aka I'm running the call and I'm going to steer you hopefully towards success. I'm going to guide you to the right decision. In order to do that, I have to run an effective call and I have to ask specific questions to establish things about your current situation first and foremost. So I like to split the calls into two after I've done this part. So a bit of an intro. 
the discovery part, which is just heavily question-based and probing. And then after that, the pitch, if they if they are a good fit. And, you know, 80% of people are. But one thing I've learned as well is, like, don't be afraid of, like, unselling people. I'm a big fan of unselling people. Just, like, they're not a good fit. I, you should not work with them. Just don't, it will, that's probably a whole other podcast, right? But, <laughs> yeah, that's that's the first mistake that I see. I think the next one is potentially prescribing a solution far too early before you've actually done the fact find. So that's why I say this is split into two parts. I would never prescribe whatever product or service I was selling without actually finding out a bit more about the client. Okay. So when we, when we're doing this discovery phase, the first part, the first major part of the call, I usually try to look at it, split that into three. Okay. Current situation, where they're at now, what are they doing? What have they tried? What's worked? What hasn't? Why? Then we look at desired situation. So what do they actually want? How quickly do they want to get it? Again, why do they want it? And then the blockers. So what's stopping you from doing this? What's getting in the way? Is it a mindset issue? Is it a logistical issue? Is it a time issue? And finding out as much as you can. And then with each of the answers to any of those three sets of questions, probing it. And again, just asking, well, how's that been? Or and, and literally just just putting people on the on the feet a little bit and on the toes, sorry, and just saying, like, okay, well, what happens if this takes place? Or if that continues for ages, what what's the impact down the line, do you think? You know, is this going to be favorable for you? Obviously, you want the answer to be no. And then, yeah, after that, you've you've actually you've run through what I would call, you know, we've talked about prescribing. So I'll keep with the doctor theme and go. That's your, like you're almost diagnosing the problem, questioning and diagnosing before you prescribe the medication or the solution that they need. So not asking enough questions or just being really generic and probably like just reading off a sheet like a robot or whatever it is. Actually taking the time to have a conversation with that person, having set the agenda, then you can ascertain whether they are a good fit and if they actually need a prescription or you you kick them out of the doctor's office who knows (laughs) yeah i love that and actually i've i've got a phrase for that because again part of sales coaching when i was observing people have sales conversations i call it solutionitis it's because they try to give to the get they're trying to give a solution which is amazing and that's really what I, I think a mindset shift for some people around sales can be is that you're not selling something you're providing a solution but when you're so solution focused and you know you're not asking all of the questions you're prescribing too early to use your phrase again that's what happens yeah. so what are the consequences of doing that well try and put the shoe on the other foot if you're the buyer, if you're the potential client, you're the potential customer, and someone just starts suggesting something without actually having found out where you're at and where you want to get to, it might just might sound, it might not fit at all. Like people want to be heard. You know, a lot of the time, if, if I hop on a sales call, I can be quiet for 70, 80% of the time. Let that person talk. It's happened this morning. <laughs> like I let I let someone talk. I asked them questions, got them out of their own head, established the problem, and it was quite a few mindset issues and perfectionism sort of challenges that they were facing. They can sell themselves if the, if they talk enough, and that's another thing that I think people forget is 
when you ask a question, you think you relinquish, a lot of people think they relinquish control of the conversation, but you're actually guiding it. So if I ask you a question, Deirdre, like, what did you have for breakfast this morning? I had toast. There you go. I'm in control now because you are explaining yourself to me. I hope you enjoyed your toast. I had toast too (laughs) with eggs on. But the questions are the most powerful part because they allow you to pull out snippets and nuggets of information, a.k.a. ammunition, that on the pitch part or the objection handling part of the call, which we'll probably cover in a second, you can then fire straight back at potential client. So, yeah, lots and lots of different questions and probing questions as well to like establish where the pain point is and then twist the knife, agitate it essentially mm-hmm. uh, to make them, as I mentioned before, like look at what the impact of this negative consequence, a negative scenario they have at the moment. What are the sort of negative consequences or implications of that sort of happening? Uh, so yeah, gone, gone the long way around saying this, but I think the questions are really, really important. So as a buyer, you want to be heard. So yeah, that's the biggest part of the sales call. The pitch doesn't have to be long or elaborate. If you can tie what you offer back to those challenges and and objectives and hopes and dreams, it should be fairly smooth sailing. Mm, Yeah. So let me just drill down and make sure I've captured those common mistakes you're seeing. So the first one is that people aren't setting the agenda, which means they're not really probing and doing that discovery part effectively. And the second thing is they're prescribing a solution too early. And so that means that, again, it's they're still lacking on that discovery part before they can properly prescribe the correct solution, right? Yeah, absolutely. Any more? What else are people doing? In in that in the front end, no, no, not so much. I'd say probably not enough questions or not enough relevant questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the pitch part, which we move into next, you know, you've ascertained. I think there's, there's another thing that goes all the way through this. It's almost like you imagine you're filling in a checklist in both parties. Both parties join a call and they have a checklist in their head that ideally they want to be full, filled with ticks by the end of it. Okay. So the seller or the, the supplier is looking, this person's a good fit. You know, they've, uh, they've got intent to buy. They have uh, timeframes that they need to work to. They've got budget, that kind of thing. And then from the buyer's point of view, it's like, do I like this person who's selling to me? What else are they thinking? I guess it's it's stuff like, does it does it feel like this is going to work? Is it suitable timeframes? Do the deliverables work? Do I feel you know felt, seen, heard, whatever, whatever the sort of agenda there is, I suppose. And if you look that these things need ticking off, and if they're not, there's probably going to be some friction towards towards the back end. So. I think that's really, really crucial to remember. The the before we move into the pitch, it's it's like knowing that, that this client is judging you at every single every single stage and trying to increase compliance and getting them to tick boxes off at each stage. So almost finishing a section of questioning before you move on to the next one is is a really big thing too. Then when you know when we're ready to pitch, okay, clients ticked seventy percent of the boxes. We're happy enough. There's always going to be some, you know, certain percentage that just remain unticked until you actually work with them, of course, moving to the pitch. And the next mistake I'm going to talk about is is a big one. People talk too much about the deliverables, i.e. you get this, you get this, you get this. They don't talk so much about the transformation or the outcome. 
and the process and milestones that you need to go through in order to get there as a client. That's a big one. I think I know exactly what you're talking about. They're selling the features and not the benefits. So they're selling, you get X, 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 Y, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, all of these things. But that's great. What do those things help you achieve, right? Yeah. Yeah, essentially. It's like you look at you look at an airline. They sell the they sell the holiday, they sell the beach, they sell the swimming pool. They don't sell the only you only get 10 kilograms of luggage and there's no extra leg room unless you pay for it. And and all these extra other little bits. Yeah. So don't focus on the nit the like the nitty gritty unless the client kind of asks you to go into more detail about it. So I have a particular way that I present my offer that works really, really well. First and foremost is that big promise. So it's that transformation. Working with us, you will be or you will achieve an outcome of X. Then I talk about the process. So first we do this, second we do that, third, this will happen. And then and I can I can do it for you if you like. And then I talk about the the parts or the deliverables. So what you actually get to make everything I've just mentioned work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, please go through that with us, Chris. I think that'd be really helpful for people listening. Yeah, cool. So the promise for me, I've, well, I've already said it, you know, so we run a, a six month program. It's called Content to Clients. And the whole aim of that is to help people like you, you know, coaches, freelancers, whatever they are, win more clients online using organic content across chosen platform, Instagram or LinkedIn. And then I'll, I'll actually stop after each stage as well, just to just to make sure that they're, they're bought in and it, it makes sense. Obviously, this this part's quite short, so we might not do it there. But after each of the pillars that I talk about, I will make sure that everything's understood and ask what questions they have. So, yeah, we'll then say, so the first thing that we'll work on is the offer. You know, we'll ask you to do a bit of work. You and I will sit down one-to-one and we'll make sure your offer's clear and stacked before anything else, okay? Because we don't want to build on a shaky foundation. And I also insert a load of common mistakes here that other people are making with their offers. And by inserting those common mistakes, so what I see a lot of people do is this. And then they're already thinking in their head a lot of the time, like, oh, I do that. But I'm, I'm... making them guilty by attacking a big group of people, not by attacking them. And that's a really, really, really effective way of getting people to buy in. You're describing their pain probably better than they can because you've said it enough times. So I'll pitch the offer first, and then I'll go, another key mistake I see here is like, I will ask what questions they have. I don't say, do you have any questions? I say, what questions have you got? Yeah. Because do you have any questions is very easy, yes or no. And usually it's a no. So it's like, what questions have you got? Like, you you must have questions. That's very, very assumptive, right? Like, what questions have you got? And they immediately start trying to think, which is perfect because I don't want the questions at the end of the call. I want the questions now because questions or unanswered questions after the price, after you've revealed the price, just stall the decision essentially so we want to make sure we're we're getting as much out of people question wise and answering those objections and questions beforehand so that's the first thing um after that i'll move on to describe content so i, w- I won't go through all these because it could get quite lengthy go on to describe the second phase we can't do the we can't do the content until we've got the offer once we've got the offer done we'll move on to the content and marketing which then will help us generate leads a lot more effectively because our messaging is dialed in and the mechanism to deliver that messaging is then dialed in as well. 
Love so. it. I love it. And that makes so much sense because it's much clearer to people. And actually, what's what's striking me from the use of language and something that I would encourage listeners to do is Chris said that he, he uses open language and like what questions do you have? It's probing language with open questions is what I'm trying to say. And that's exactly what you're doing. It's almost like a coaching conversation to coach out what their problems are, what their current situation is. But then how do you transition to the pitch part, Chris? Because I know like for me, even as a business owner, when I started, I could sell other people's stuff. No problem. Right. I won sales awards for being the best salesperson in the country where I used to work. But when it came to creating and selling my own offers, I really struggled with that. So, you know, like when it and, and it's the pitch part, it's selling that offer. What tips do you have for people to transition into the into the pitch bit and then make sure that, you know, they don't trip themselves up with that pitch part? Any other tips on that? Yeah, sure. So after you finish discovery, and I probably missed this bit, this bit out again, we want another we want another tick. Both parties want another tick in the box. Right. I want to make sure that I'm I let them know that I'm about to pitch. And they probably want to know, right, we've ticked off this section. I've answered all the stuff. I can probably chill out now. Maybe they feel like they've been grilled a bit. Hopefully not. So I will I will usually say at this point, and again, very open to give them an option to keep feeding in. Is that, okay, I feel like I've got a really good grasp on where you're at. Before we move on, is, is there anything else you feel like you need to tell me that you haven't already? And a lot of the time there's a no. And then I will actually ask permission, like, cool, do you want me to go into detail? Oh, well, I'll confirm a good fit, actually, before that, sorry. I will say, okay, based on what you have told me, I'm extremely confident we can help you. Would you like me to go into a bit more detail about how X program product works? No one ever says no to that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's sort of the transition. Then I'll move into, okay, cool, so it's a six-month thing with the promise the, the pillars which we've kind of run through and just going back to that I've, we've still not touched on still not touched on like the, the features at all we've mm -hmm. not we've not mentioned the nuts and bolts so i would then just i call it the the whole pitch part i call it the promise the pillars and the parts Mm -hmm. that's something that we've come up with inside our program so the parts you can reel them off really quickly so the fact there are five you know you get some one-on-one -on -one calls you get twice weekly group calls you get community access you get accountability calls as and when you need them and you get course access i'll go into i'll explain them a bit more a bit differently to that but yeah after that it's just listening reeling things off because they're hopefully you know you've done enough good job on the discovery side of things and the promise is big enough and they've seen all the touch points leading up to the call. You know, we've done the legwork. They should be there or thereabouts like, okay, cool. It doesn't matter. All, all this is basically insignificant. You know, if, if you were buying a gym program, you don't, you're not going to ask specifically about the number of exercises that you, you're going to have to do on each limb or each muscle. You, know, mm -hmm. you just say, right, I like this, I like this guy, I like this girl. I'm sure she can help me. Where's the gym? What time do I need to show up? Cool. That's it. Maybe maybe you got some nutrition questions. So people aren't overthinking this. And if they do, they will ask questions. You know, I usually get, so what time are the group calls? Which perfectly legitimate question. So I actually build that bit in. I say they happen here and they happen here. Mm -hmm. Just in case the person doesn't ask it, I forget. And after you've repped this pitch a few times, 
this this new picture of yours, you'll get to understand which bits people are receptive to and which they're not. And then I recommend always recording your sales calls, essentially, and then going back to them, having a slot every week where you can just review the best one, review the worst one, and see what the difference was. And it may just be the buyer, you know. I'm quite my sales calls are very much the same now. I take people in the same route because I've done it that many times and it's well oiled, but you can start to experiment with certain parts of it. So yeah, hopefully that answers the question. It does. And a great tip there to record your sales calls, especially if you do them on Zoom. And and I would say to that or add to that, like if you're a company owner and you've got people meeting clients on your behalf in person, well then sit in on their sales conversations and observe them and you'll be able to give feedback or maybe spot things they're saying that they shouldn't have. Or if they are doing those mistakes that, that Chris mentioned earlier, where they're not setting an agenda or, or they are prescribing a solution too early, you might pick up on that where the person having the conversation messes it. So that's, hmm. that's something else to add in. And Chris, okay, so we all get people going, oh, I think I need to think about it or I need to speak to X or I'm not sure it's right for me. They're probably the three most common objections that come up for pretty much no matter what you're selling. So what tips or techniques do you have for people to help them overcome objection handling? With, you know, I like things? to I like to preempt the objections as we kind of touched on before now this this can be a bit forward and i don't do it all the time but once you've been through that pitch okay you've got you've not revealed the price yet so it's very specific it go it almost goes like that it's big promise pillars parts and then we want to make sure that they are bought in on that whole process they're bought in on everything so that's where again well i will go i will usually make a joke of it and go appreciate i've just spoken at you for 10 minutes what questions have you got for me? Silence. Let them let them think. Okay. And they'll think of some questions usually. If they go, no questions, you know. So I will reaffirm that and I will go, okay. So everything, everything completely clear. And then it's, I, I like to straight after this go, so before we get to the price, is there anything that's, you know, based on you having no questions, is is the is is there anything stopping you from moving ahead with this today? So, and that's quite forward. Yeah, it is, quite forward. it is. And but what I find is, and this I see happen so so often, people say, "No, I don't really have any questions." But you haven't told me how much it is yet. How much is it? And that's the question they ask when you when you ask that question. So what do you say then? I will say, well, it depends. I get asked this question a lot very early on in the call sometimes as well. I get asked it in my direct messages and we don't advertise our price because I don't feel, I feel when people are judging you on cost, they're not necessarily bought into the actual transformational value you can provide. So I would respond, oh, we've got to do the dance, John. You know how this goes. And I'll just make a joke out of it. We don't reveal the price until the end. Like, that, that's That's how I handle it because that gets people smiling. They, they like it. And everyone knows the price doesn't come out right to, and, until the end, unless they already know it, of course. So if if I'm if I'm certain that that person is bought in, and I, I will just reveal price at that stage. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, usually there are only sort of three types of objections that you can that you can receive. It's either like it's it's a time thing, it's a price thing or they just don't believe in you. Mm -hmm. 
typically. Um, so how do you respond to those or how do you overcome them? Well, I would, if I've done my questioning correctly at the start in the discovery phase, it's usually quite easy to pull something out from the ammunition that they've given you. But which, which what, give me an objection specifically and I'll see if I can. I'm not sure I can afford it. Okay, cool. Not sure you can afford it. And I, first and foremost, with every objection, I would I was like, okay, I'm agreeing. And I will actually say, it's not cheap. But that I say that for a reason, because cheap isn't good. Mm -hmm. So I'm agreeing with them. So it depends on the flexibility that you've you've got in terms of pricing or payment plans or whatever it may be, or if you do have some form of discount available. I don't usually recommend giving discounts, but just, just putting that out there. Someone says they can't afford it. Well, first of all, we're agreeing. And then I will probe into like just something that they've said earlier on. We're like, because if it's if it's money, it probably does mean that you've not like shown how valuable you can be to them or your product or services to them. So I will pull out something that they mentioned. Now we need to ascertain if it's, you know. Someone it's different to saying someone saying it's too expensive. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's a an easier one to solve. I can't afford it. So I would I would say like how much budget have you got, you know, set aside for something like this? And try and get them on to talking about figures would be a, a good way to go. Because as soon as they're mentioning money, you can then benchmark it against where you're at, and then you're able to to potentially offer another solution. Or if they go well, it's it's three thousand. Like I've only got two thousand. You might be able to go. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's let's put a deposit down, or or take the first payment, and we'll do three split payments or two split payments, whatever it is. Let's paint another scenario though. So they've got they've got two thousand. The price is three thousand. Let's say, and then you're able to at that stage paint a picture of okay. Well, if it's a two k investment, a three k investment, but you've only got two k. Look at that across the the scope of six months, and then we may be able to increase. I don't know what it depends what service people are coming to you for, but you know, you give us two k now. Think how much, think how much damage we can do over the course of the six months or whatever it is. I mean, it was easier for if I had a bit of context. I'm trying to stay away from my offer here, but yeah, that's I, I would paint the picture of of what the finance is going to do for them. Um, sorry, what the money's going to do for them in the long term, rather than dwelling on just this short, short term like molehill or bump in the road where they can't afford it. It's almost like my ethos is very much get people in and, and remove any blocker here. So if they do need to come up with an extra K, maybe we can talk about them like paying that when they have some results, or maybe it's in a month's time, something like that. So flexibility will probably be needed, but ultimately to get them talking about if they can't afford it, it's like, well, how much money have you got? Mm. and what are the other priorities what else are you spending on at the moment because mm. again you kind of go back into this discovery phase yeah that makes total sense because you're, you're right i mean people could be spending money on things that is actually not helping them drive real results whereas when they when they get the support or help they need that's going to really transform them it makes so much sense for them to prioritize their funds in that way right so another one, Chris, I'd really love to hear your thoughts on this one. And I think a lot of listeners are probably professional service providers, but they, they, you know, they're, people are inclined to ask for proposals. So will you send me a proposal covering what we talked about today? What do you say to those? 
personally, I say there's only there's only one cost. Like what the proposals usually when you need to compare things, it depends. I I, I used to work at an agency and I know how just like it's normality. The proposals are normal in in the marketing world. I think so. I again, I think you can use everything leading up to the call in order to like set it up that for the fact that you you're not going to send a proposal. I mean, you can you can send something across. Of course, you can. I personally don't. I know a lot of freelancers who don't, and that's by just having one cost. It's like what you. It's almost trying to make them feel like it would be weird to ask for a proposal so you you use some form of calendar software if, if you work in myspace where we're getting all the details for the brief anyway and then you just have a product suite or service suite that you select based on requirement and the, the discovery phase where you go right they need package c and that costs three three grand a month can i have can I have a proposal if you I would still, I, I don't send anything, you know, it's it's a decision at some point, either on the call or afterwards. So yeah, send, send the proposal if you have to, but have the proposal like 90% drafted because you already know you've got three products, let's say ABC, have it 90% drafted. And then I would say, yeah, I, I can certainly present something to you, but I wouldn't send anything. I would never send a proposal. I will book in a call to talk them through it and present them, present it to them. And I would just say, I don't, I don't send proposals. And I think people are afraid of that, but you'll actually, it'll gather a lot more respect because everyone else out there will just fire a PDF off over email. If you go, I can present a proposal to you. What dates work, what date works best for you? Are you free on Thursday? How's 10 a.m.? Perfect. And that, I think, will show how serious and professional you actually are. Mm. And That's it's a totally it's, different perspective, I think, than what most people listening might have around proposals. The thing is, if you, again, putting yourself in the buyer's shoes, as soon as you get off this call, the importance of the call drops. It's nowhere near as important, probably. So you get an email two days later after after the supplier has been you know, sweating, trying to turn around a 48-page document in, in two days. And then you just like flick through. All you're going to do is go straight to the cost and you might show it to someone else if you work in a business with other people and they go, too expensive. And you're like, oh, never mind. I'm not even going to reply to the email. I've not got time. I'm on to something else now. Priority shift. So you're, if you send proposals, you're setting yourself up for a fail. Mm. I think a lot of the time. So... I would I would be key I'll be keen to find out why they need a proposal in the first place probably because they're not the only decision maker or they're not even the decision maker it used to be a lot in when I worked in the agency you'd speak to people and then you'd find out they weren't the decision maker even though they told you they were they or they might be the decision maker but they don't hold the budget or whatever it is so this person usually has to take this contract and get it signed by someone else potentially so yeah presenting means you can then invite any other influencers, decision makers, or budget holders to one meeting. And the biggest thing about it is you get real-time feedback. Mm. Yeah. You can handle objections in real time and answer questions in real time as well. 
Now, you should have handled the bulk of them or at least be aware of what they are by the time of the second call. But, yeah, having defined packages, again, it comes back to the offer and the messaging stage, defined packages, A, B, and C, whatever they are, gold, silver, bronze, good, better, best, some people call them. You've got these defined packages. Therefore, you should, if this person is your, is the decision maker and you're on the first call with them, it's just like, well, it's package C. Yeah, it's, it's, it's 3K a month. Can you send a proposal? And it's almost like, I can present one to you, but what for? Is there someone else involved in the buying decision? Mm. Interesting. That's how I'd go. Yeah, that's so insightful, I think, and something that for, for people to consider. Yeah, great. Chris, we've covered so much. I did want to ask you about other things, but I think that we, we nearly need to record another episode if we get into much more. This has been really helpful. Before we wrap up, Chris, is there any other tips or tricks that you have up your sleeve that you think listeners would benefit from that you'd like to share? Yeah, probably. So it might come down to following up. So let's just talk about following up very briefly. Choose a different choose a different approach to most people and, and don't say that you're just following up. So let's say your proposal's gone out, you've sent it via email and you're just getting ghosted. If you've been speaking to that person on email, try a different channel potentially and offer offer something to them, offer some value or have a reason or an excuse rather than going, hey, John, just following up or just touching base or whatever it is. No one likes that. So I think my tip with following up is make sure you do it for one because so such a high percentage of sales are lost due to following up. You know, this person probably needs to interact with you eight times before they actually buy. And you may only be at like stage three or four. So it's a fine balance, of course, between pestering and doing nothing. <laughs> but you do probably want to sit in the middle. So make sure at the end of the call and wherever you speak to this person, there's always a clear sort of defined next step. Mm-hmm. Essentially, So, you know, OK, we are speaking I'm sending the proposal, if you are still sending them, I'm sending the proposal by Tuesday. Let's speak again on Wednesday. And mm-hmm. time people always having a next step where you are just keeping the ball rolling, essentially, and, and keeping motion. Yeah, fantastic. And it's so true what they say, the fortune is in the follow-up, right? Yes, 100%. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, can't... I read a great one, actually, and I've used this multiple times myself, where, again, to use your point, it's not saying I'm just following up. It's asking a question. It's one email with one sentence. And I'm going to share it here for listeners, right? If you've got others, please share them too, Chris. And it's, uh, I guess you haven't had a chance to make a decision yet. So when you haven't heard back from them, it's like guessing you haven't had a chance to make a decision yet. Question mark. Sign it off and hit send. That's it. You don't need to put anything else in it. And Uh, using that for me has gotten so many people to respond and say yes you're right I'm whatever I'm doing and you're you're then understanding where or why they're at which but it's opened the door for you to have that conversation again and go right what questions do you have or you know was there something you thought of afterwards that you didn't ask the last time we had a call and it Mm. helps you open that door so you can schedule a follow-on call and then, again, overcome those objections and obstacles. That one really works. Have you got any others, Chris? I like that. Yeah, I've got one more. After a few times of trying, one that I used to used to do quite a bit was just, I, I and again, bit forward, but you, you're potentially at the end of the tether with this end of the tether with this person. It's just like, oh, they're not responding, they're not picking up. I would email quite a negative. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have a negative tone, but it would have negative sort of connotations. It'd be like, hey, John. I'm going to assume this isn't of interest anymore. 
since I haven't heard back from you, but wanted to say thank you very much for all your time. I'll take you off our list or I'll, I'll, I'll withdraw the proposal or whatever it is. That gets responses because they go, oh, no, 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 no. I was just checking with someone. Sorry it's taken so long. All the apologies come out. Yeah, like nine times out of 10, certainly eight times out of 10, that always elicited a response. And that response was usually, oh, no, we're still interested. And then you're like, oh, okay. But the, yeah. it, that you say it reignites, it reopens the door. Yeah, exactly. I love that. And, and uh, you know, it's it's those little nuggets and tips and tricks that can help you win more clients and grow your business, right? Yep, absolutely. Like there's there's strategic stuff that you can do and there's smaller little tactical moves you can make. And yeah, those hints and tricks, I think just really, are, are, they, they are going to just, they're like little bolt-ons to, Hopefully what we've run through today, it's been a little bit all over the show, but hopefully there's a process in there that is going to help people. And then there are a few little nuggets of wisdom as well sprinkled throughout. Definitely, definitely. Chris, it's been amazing having you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. What can we expect over the coming months for you and, and your business? More of the same. Like we've got a team in place now. I've spent the last six months revamping all our materials that we supply. Six months, six weeks, revamping all the materials that we supply to our clients. And now I am on sort of back-end systems and team and refining processes. I've got six more days on that. Then when we hit May, we've just got some marketing madness lined up. So a bit of a switch up in marketing, really exciting stuff. High-end content going out on TikTok, on Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn and probably some other email as well. Everything is dialed in. And I had a moment for the first time ages yesterday when I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure I've got anything to do, which was, I was like, wow. Wow. As an entrepreneur, that's crazy. I did have things to do, but I just, it, it felt strange. <laughs> I didn't have a burning, urgent thing to do. So yeah, really, really exciting stage in business. We are having, we're storming. The clients are absolutely on fire. So yeah, systems at the moment. And then we're going to go into like heavy marketing in, in May. Amazing. Fantastic. Watch this space, folks. You'll be able to find Chris's details in the show notes below. Thanks again, Chris. And that's a wrap, folks. A huge thank you to Chris James for generously sharing his top-notch advice on how to master structured sales conversations. If you were like me, you're walking away today with an arsenal of valuable tips and strategies to help not only generate leads, but also excel in those sales conversations. As you venture forward, remember to put these insights into practice because it's action that causes your business to grow. But when you put these insights into practice, you can absolutely be sure that you're going to watch your sales game soar to new heights. And after all, and you know this yourself, the secret to success lies in constantly learning, adapting, and growing. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Master Your Business podcast on your favorite platform, wherever you're listening today. We always appreciate your support, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Join us next time for another insightful conversation that'll help you unlock your business's full potential. And until then, stay curious, Stay motivated and keep mastering your business.